Hey, welcome to Code Turkey Podcast. This week I'm with Lee. Lee is actually a website called The Truth About Alcohol. Um, his approach to alcoholism is a bit different than some of the other f people that I've met with and I've discussed with, but uh, it was an interesting talk. I love having a, a, you know, like I love the conversation we had together and um, I can't wait for you guys to, and, and, and girls to hear that. You know, it was, it was a fantastic conversation. I enjoyed every minute of it. And um, just leaving you with a few notes. Um, Share the podcast, let the podcast known uh, to your to your peers and, and friends and family. Um, you can like the Cold Turkey podcast page. You can actually share uh, where you listen it to, um, you know, either iTunes or Google Podcasts or Spotify. And you actually can put a review as well. You know, like I love reading them and I love that it helps the indexing of the website and the, and the podcast. So without further ado, here's Lee. Enjoy. Hey, hi, Lee. How you doing? Good. I'm fantastic. Yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's funny because we just recorded your podcast. And so what is your podcast called? Uh, my podcast is called the Alcohol Addiction Podcast. Okay. And so as, I'll, as I do with every one of my guests, I'm going to start with the first question, which is what is your first memory of either you using or you being witness of substance use? Quite interesting you say that because um, I'm a vegan, right? But um, sometimes I'm a little bit of a naughty vegan, like not in a grab a turkey leg and eat it while no one's looking kind of naughty vegan. But, you know, I'll be in Starbucks and my wife ordered an Irish cream coffee or something the other day. And um, as she was in the car, we were, I said, give me a little tip, let me a little sip of it. So I had a little sip of it. And my mind just automatically went right back to being a kid. It was, <laughs> it was Christmas. And I met, I met a relative that I don't really know that well. And they've given us Christmas cakes. I remember the marzipan Christmas cake. And they gave us all a Bailey's cream, which is a liqueur yeah. that is very, which is very popular in the UK. And I must have been seven or eight, something like that. So that's a very early memory of mine. But Lee, um, was it the trick, you know, like the, the typical trick, <laughs> I say typical, like if it was like a regular thing, but you know, uh, my parents, it's funny that you say that, but my parents would put like a shot of something in, in a glass of milk, whatever. To get, just what, to get you to sleep. Exactly. Precisely. <laughs> was it that? No, no, no. no. It, was, it was just... I see it. I see it now. Like my, 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 I live in LA at the moment. I'm homeless. Right. But I've, I'm in, I've been in LA for like four months. I'm here until February and then I'm going traveling again. And the family that I live with here, they're, you know, devout Christians and it's all about service and very family orientated. And when we get together, which is a lot like families, it's about 15 of us. Like we all went to watch star Wars the other day. It's that type of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but the, my brother-in-law, uh, who works for the LEPD, he he likes a drink every now and then, right? Like, he don't go overboard. He just likes a drink. But he's, like, the only one who really, like, drinks. 
And every single time his boy will say, can I have a little sip? You yeah. know, let, let me have a little sip, you know, and he'll be like, okay. And then he'll have a sip and you go, oh, that's disgusting. So the Baileys for me was a little bit like that. Um, it was where it was, it was the, it was the acceptance from adults. Yeah. That drinking alcohol, even as a child, is is acceptable to a certain degree. Like dipping dipping your dummy yep. in beer and putting the dummy in the baby's mouth and going, "Oh, he likes beer." Nobody's looking at that, going, "What? You're just giving your beer some poison? It, it's just cute, like it." So I I that was like you know for me you know it was all just about um, you know being just not it was just normal. Yeah. And then I guess. A good example of that is um, I'm 14. I'm on holiday in Tenby in West Wales in the UK. And my dad, had, he must have spoken to the barman and, and, and told him that I was going to buy a pint. Me and my friend Ian, who lived next door to me, who looked a little bit older than me. And, you know, Ian went up first, comes back with a pint with a big smile on his face. And I'm 14, and I'm, I'm like shitting myself, right? I'm like, there's no way this guy's going to serve me. My dad's going, go on, get a beer, give me a tenner. <laughs> Uh, I go up there and I ask for a pint of lager. He gives it to me, and and, I, and my dad's look on his face was just pure pride and, and acceptance. Yeah. And but prior to that point, like my dad had had no time for me. Like he, he I was just a pain in the ass to my dad. You yeah. know, so you're um, becoming a man, this, Lee. You became a man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm drinking. I'm drinking it, and I'm thinking this is fucking disgusting. And my dad's like, "What's it like?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's good. It's good." <laughs> you know, like so. Yeah, it was for me. It was very much um, accepted by our parents that drinking alcohol was just part of the game. And then, and then when I was um, when I was ten, we moved to Wales from England, and whoa, whoa, what a difference! Like. Like I grew up in a little valley called Ogmo Vale, where drinking the drinking culture was just beyond a joke. Like, and it still is. It everybody who's a kid just wants to be an adult as quickly as they can, and that involves um, drinking, taking drugs, and having sex far, far too young. And it is all three of those things to a certain degree, different degrees, are actually you know allowed and encouraged by by parents so for me um we'll talk about this a little bit later but to me the insidiousness nature of alcoholism goes far deeper than than i believe the world gives it credit for i, I we at uh, strive for example when we teach people to stop drinking we we realize it's a we we believe that it's a belief system issue not a not a biological issue so Um, and, and that's where it's that's where it stems from. So I, I actually very controversially uh, tell people that we're all we're all designed to drink alcohol from birth. Yeah. Uh, ev everywhere you look, there are walking, talking billboards designed for you to want to connect. Want that's the way the biology comes in, Alex. Like we're designed to want to be in a part of a tribe, to want to connect, to want to belong. And and uh, every advertisement you see, and every and every party you go to as a child, you see that alcohol is is that elixir that allows you yeah. uh, to fit in. So to me, it's just all conditioning. Just you talked about your dad. Can you draw me a bit of the family picture? Sit. Yeah, sure. So uh, my I was born in Manchester in uh, in England in the UK, and my 
my mother and I have three sisters. They're all younger than me. They were all born in and around that area as well. And then when I was about, so as you can see, I'm like, I'm half Chinese, right? And my mum and dad are white. So when we moved to Wales in particular, not before Wales, but when we was in England, people gave me the nickname Chingy. Okay. People call me Chingy. And, I, and then I come home and I said to my mom, have we got any relatives who are Chinese? So obviously I didn't know anything about sex because I thought we could just have relatives who were Chinese and that would that would mean it. That's and it. then my mom said that my dad wasn't my real dad. So I found out my father wasn't my real father. My biological father was from Hong Kong. He left before I was born. Uh, I've never met him. Don't really see any point in wanting to. Uh, so I've always called my dad my dad. You know, even then when my mom told me, she's like, how do you feel? I'm like, well, can my dad still be my dad? And she's like, yeah, sure. Case so closed. It was yeah, case he, closed from there. Yeah, he adopted me. And uh, I found adoption papers. I actually thought I was adopted, like like, like from Bernardo's or something. And my mom was like, no, 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 your dad just adopted you, you know? So, <laughs> um, so I've, yeah, so two parents. Uh, we grew up in um, Ogmore Vale. Uh, from, so we moved to Ogmore Vale when I was 10. Um, that was a... A horrific period of time for me. Um, I actually did the Landmark Forum in London uh, when I was in my 30s. And uh, the coach there was saying that there are there's three uh, milestone moments that will happen in your life that will define who you are. Uh, and I had to like write down what mine were. Mine would mine would definitely finding out that I was that my dad wasn't my real dad, and that I was that I actually was different to everybody. Like I was the only Asian kid with all these white people, right? Like, like that, that was number one. Number two is being ripped away from all my friends at, at 10 in England um, and being dumped into this little Welsh Valley, which was like so different to Manchester that that was, and that, that was like the key to me drinking. And then the third lifestyle, uh, life milestone moment for me was stopping drinking. And so you said that by 14, it's the 14 year old, right? That you get the paint, the paint, the pipe. Yeah. The pipe. Yeah. And 14 was everything happened at 14. Lost my virginity at 14. Uh, tried a cigarette for the first time. I was 14. Big year. Was 14. <laughs> Big it was year. a massive year for me. <laughs> yeah. So do, do, do you have memories of, you know, like having that, you know, like the, the, um, beside the, you know, like, like the social acceptance or the, you know, like becoming a man thing. Do you have memories of like the, the effect of alcohol being like, um, Enjoying it to a point where, you know, like, do, do you, so after that paint, do you get a, an effect out of it? You know, like, do you get like, like, I don't know, like, like the liquid courage that people describes and, you know, like the, do you remember having like the first quote unquote benefits of drinking at the time? So I, I don't, I don't remember, I don't remember the benefits and and that's an that's an important point and something that we use a lot in our philosophy and our teachings over at Strive because a lot of people will say like we'll say why do you drink like it's a really important question like if you want to give up drinking like why do you drink and oh I, I drink because I love the buzz you know and it's like oh what buzz is that then because like I've taken amphetamines that's a decent buzz like I have an orgasm that's a good buzz so yep. like where are we going to put this pint of lager up against that buzz and very often when we ask people to just drink a pint of lager with a pen and paper in their hand and actually write down and record the buzz, they come back and they're like, oh, well, I actually rated the buzz. Now you've asked me and it's like three or four out of 10. Yep. And then we're like, so what, 
what buzzes do you get that are more than three and four out of ten? And they're like sex, uh, drugs, uh, um, like um, sport. And then they come up with this huge list. And then we're like, okay, so is it safe to say you don't drink alcohol because you like the buzz? And they're like, oh, I guess not. Okay, let's cross that one off the list. Let's go to the next one, right? Um, so I never like, I don't re particularly remember the, I don't particularly remember any benefits to alcohol on a biological level, but I do clearly remember being 10 years of age, moving to Wales with a different accent, with a different look into different things. So for example, I was in a football, they had no school football team, it was all rugby, and feeling an intense urge to belong. But what, what happened to me is I ended up fitting in, which is a big difference, right? And I had a dad who I would come home and I'd be crying to my mom. And my, my dad would say, what's the, what's the, I've never gone to my dad, right? And I'd be crying because some kid I'd call me a chink in the playground, right? And I'd be crying to my mom. And then my dad would come in the room and he'd say, why, why are you crying because someone's called you a chink? Like, Who told you that? Your mom. Why are you crying? Like, next time someone calls you a chink, I want you to fucking punch him. Like, dad, he's six foot tall. He's a rugby player. He's going to kick the shit out of me. I don't give a fuck. Next time a kid calls you a chink, if you haven't punched him, you don't come home to this house. So next time someone calls me a chink, hear my dad in the back of my head and I want to hit him anywhere just haven't got the balls right yeah and I hit him and I get battered and the next time I hit him I get battered it and I've lost more fights than I've ever had um but but for me I was just fighting all the time and that gave me a little bit of credibility messing about in school and misbehaving which brought my grades right down gave me a little bit of credibility yeah and drinking alcohol and being the dickhead give me credibility putting my head through a window drunk credibility punching something credibility like and i think this is a really important part of what keeps people hooked so at strive we say that the reason we we say there's three reasons we you drink there's a fundamental reason you drink there's a primary reason you drink and then there's secondary reasons so we'll work backwards right so the secondary reasons are i love the buzz i like the taste um um uh, it uh, it it makes me super sexy, blah, 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 right? The primary reason we drink is the reason it is going to be connected to some form of trauma somewhere along our life. So for me, that trauma could be I'm different to everybody else and I really need to fit in, right? It could be that someone suffered sexual trauma or whatever. It could be anything, but that's the primary reason. And then for me, the fundamental reason we drink is because we're designed to drink. So, and, and and because of the belief system, we call that belief system alcoholism. And we say that alcoholism is an invisible, violent, dominant belief system. It's uh, violent because it kills 3.3 million people a year. And you only have to go down your, your high street on a Saturday night to see the actual fucking carnage. You know, if, if you think alcohol isn't violent, ask yourself why there are security men on every single door of every bar and pub, right? Yep. Or go down to accident emergency on a Saturday night and spend some, some time there. So it's, it's, it's definitely, definitely violent. Not, plus what it's doing to your body is violent. Um, it's dominant because if you was to write a list of the 20 closest people to you, mine and yours might be different because we don't drink, but yep. you know, normally most people are going to drink. And the World Health Organization, when they did their last report, over 52% of people drank. 
So if it kills 3.3 million people, which is more than war, murder, and terrorism combined, why we why do we love it? Why do we think it's a fucking business? If I was to go to Von supermarket up the road now, as soon as I walk in there, the first thing I see is is all the liquor. Like it's boom, it's there in front of your face. You know, we're giving our kids Bailey's uh, ice cream. We're dipping their dummies in it. We think it's just a laugh. We just think it's fun. Yeah. Right. The reason that happens is because it's an invisible belief system. It's like people do not understand that it is an issue. Right. So, so that to me is the fundamental reason that you drink you know so for me fundamental reason i drank was because of the belief system uh and the traumatic reason that i drank was because i really 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 wanted to belong i wanted people to love me to accept me and i ended up fitting in alex i ended up putting a mask on and then i didn't take it off again until i was 35 so so what i mean by that is People would say to me, well, Lee's such an extrovert. He's such an extrovert. He's such he's just a fucking kiddie. Like he's the guy who's always like, you know, standing on first to take his clothes off on a stack weekend. He's like the guy who gets up on a chair. But no, when I was 35 and I stopped drinking, I realized that I'm I'm I I can flip flat between extrovert extroversion and introversion, but I'm more of an introvert. Like I, I don't want to be in a party. I don't want to be doing these things. I don't want to be putting my fist through windows you know I, I don't that's not what i want to do it's not what i want to be like i'm i'm much more quieter i want to read i want to learn that kind of thing and so i so for me that was my 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 thoughts and feelings around what is actually was the benefit of me drinking at the time was belonging like you know i'm gonna have friends and in in the short term and this is a problem with addiction in the short term you think it works because you get friends. Yeah. But but we say at Strive, fuck instant gratification, fuck short term. We're thinking long term, baby, right? And now I'm 45, I can look back and, whoa, like I wasted so much of my life trying to be someone who I wasn't because I felt that that was a benefit, which quite, quite clearly isn't a benefit. It's not a benefit. True, true belonging would have been found if I would have had the balls to have just said, I don't want to drink. And then I could have got through life without fogging myself up and then making decisions on whether or not I want to be a part of this group or that group or this and that and the other. And I see that now with some of my nephews and nieces in LA who don't drink. Their lives are much more difficult because they get picked on, they get bullied yeah. because because they don't do the things, the quote unquote things they're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they are creatively, intelligently, um, you know, they, they, they are actually like developing in a much better way. So it's almost like you have to take the pain when you're younger, but who wants to take it? And we were talking earlier on, weren't we, about being parents on your podcast. Like the, wor the worst thing that could happen to me is my little darling Zia, who's like half Korean, half Chinese, half, we can't do half, like she's English, uh, English, Chinese, Korean, American, right? I'm not going to take her to Ogmovale and put her in school. I don't want her to go through what I went through. Yeah. I needed to grow up in a diverse culture like LA where everybody looks at her and she, they just see a person, right? Yeah. You know, but at the same time, you know, like they, they, people do the best they can. You know, like I, I'm going to ask a question just to, you know, like kind of be devil advocate here, but you know, like um, were your sisters from, oh, my guess is that your your siblings were from your two parents, right? You know, like you, yeah, they were, yeah, they were, yeah. okay. Because um, I'm asking that question because, you know, like it's, it's, um, it's a long, it's a long debate about, you know, like the biological and the peer pressure thing, you know, like, which I think, you know, like, um, 
you know, like I, I have a, my own belief around it, but you know, like it, it's based on one little story of, you know, like my father actually, you know, like people that are <laughs> avid listeners to the podcast are going to be fed up with that story. But you know, like anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> my father asked me out of just like, it's just like a physics lesson. He wants me to take the gasoline out of the, the snowmobile on, in spring. So yeah, he shows me how to put the tube in and just like pull, you know, like, like, Read in, you know, like the, the, the yeah. do, do the, like the, the siphon, whatever, you know, like transfer the gasoline from the from the five gallon from the, the snowmobile to the the five gallon. And uh, I'm probably between five and seven, you know, like I'm I'm six or seven, and re- quickly realize that you know when I miss it a few times, the fumes gives me a buzz. Hmm. And I would I still strongly believe that ninety five percent plus of kids would have been terrified of this. Now. Now remember that you know like there's no no outside situation that makes my life either traumatic or whatever you know like there's no there's no incest or no abuse my father my father and mom are together I've got I got a brother and sister that are younger than me you know like there's nothing you know like there's you know like I'm I'm six for God's sake you know like there's no peer pressure there's nothing you know and I would say that you know like like I said you know like more than more than ninety five percent of kids would have been terrified of getting a buzz I don't. Hmm. And on the you don't, opposite, you, you don't get a buzz, or you're not terrified of the buzz. I'm not terrified of the buzz. I actually, yeah. I'm a, I'm an intelligent kid, and I realize mm. quickly how I can do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I I can clear that up a little bit for you because, like, I I I would, you know, I I I remember like sniffing marker pens. Um, yep. I remember Tipex. Uh, we used to like it's a correction fluid. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so we would sniff we would sniff that in class like. I I was always somebody who wanted I, I I liked that kind of stuff, you know. I just didn't get it with I just didn't get it with alcohol. Um I I I interviewed Maya Salovich once and she wrote a book called Broken Brain. And Maya Salovich said in Broken Brain that addiction is like so complicated. Like it's part biology, uh, it's part psychology, it's part environmental, it's part cultural, ideological, societal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, I would take that view. So, you know, when people say, for example, um, Lee, you must have you must have an addictive gene because, but first of all, people, some people would say to me, Lee, you have alcohol gene, right? So I'm like, well, where's that gene now? Like, did it just get removed? Did it just get switched off? Like, yeah. where is it? Right. So then, then they'll then they could say, well, no, you you have an addict an addiction gene. So I listened the other day to a podcast. I think it was Amy Dresner. She said she interviewed this uh, very clever guy who gave the gene a name, and and then gave her a supplement so she could manage that that gene, right? This addiction gene. But then we all fall in love, right? Like we all fall in love. Like we all get broken hearted. We all get the buzz of like falling in love and that the whole biological thing, you know? So, you know, there is a, an argument to be made that we're all addicts to some degree and something, right? Like oh, for sure. love yeah. or whatever, right? Here's what I say to people who come to strive. People say to me, but is, is, is it a biological thing? Am I, am I an addict? Cause my dad is an addict. And I'll kind of say, who gives a fuck? Right. Because, you're here. You're here to. You're here to be fixed. You're here to save yourself. <laughs> save yourself. Find out who the real you is. To stop drinking alcohol. Um, and like I say on Stripe, to build rockets and go to Mars. Right. 
And, yep. and, and my rocket was uh, travel around the world and be a poker player. And, and Mars was like all these different casinos for me, right? So I say to him, your biology is out of control you, to a large degree. Yeah, you could take supplements and stuff and you can eat right. So there's a lot of biology that is within your control. So, you know, there's, there's no debating that, you know, that what you're drinking or what you're eating or not drinking and eating can lead to you being triggered to drink because you're hungry and all that kind of stuff. And there's certain types of foods that you can eat and the amino acids that you can take that can help you, right? Without a doubt, okay? But that was not the way that worked for me. You know, like I was more about, okay, okay, okay. Hang on, hang on now. Like if this, if I was, if why am I drinking? Like, why am I drinking, Lee? And I wrote a big list of all these reasons why I was drinking. And the one thing that ties them all together is I'm getting value out of it. I'm getting pleasure out of them. Yeah. Right. So then I said to myself, let's just pick on, um, I get value of, Playing football on a Sunday with my mates when I was 16 and they were all seniors, like they're in their 20s and 30s, and then going to the pub and then all drinking together and then buying me beer because I had no money, right? And I derived great value out of that because I'm this 16-year-old little wonder kid and everyone's going, wow, isn't he an amazing footballer? And 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 now to my six-year-old friends, I can say, well, I got 20, 30-year-old friends and they're driving me around in a car and it's all this like, I want to be an adult all tied around with it all going back to me being 10, being this little chinky kid who wants to fit in. So so for me, there's tremendous value, like socially, right? Yeah. Being with these guys. That's the reward. That's the reward, right. But then if I put that under the lens of a microscope and say, let's, let's me, and Aunt, me and you now have been speaking since around 10 o'clock. And me and you on two different podcasts, right? And we have connected on a deep level talking about really meaningful stuff and and we both really enjoyed our conversation and we felt connected i feel connected to you today alex right yep i do too now yep. if we if we started rewound and started having that conversation again from 10 o'clock but we drank there would be an illusion or a delusion that we're actually connecting really well and that alcohol is helping us do that but what will happen over time is our conversation, the depth of it, our ability to connect and our ability to inspire, infuse and challenge each other and to deal with that challenge in a respectful way would diminish tremendously. So then Absolutely. I start thinking to myself, hang on, if I say that alcohol is not biological and Alex says to me, I, I want to challenge that, but he wants to do that when he's sober or he wants to challenge it when we both had a beer. There's a fucking world of difference as to where that could go, right? Absolutely. So, so then I realized, holy shit, I the I actually don't. Alcohol doesn't improve my social situation, right? It doesn't. So so then I could see to myself, if I actually look at all these aspects of value and knock them all out the park with some logic and rational explanation and look at my belief that alcohol is normal and pleasurable from a different perspective, I can actually remove the emotion and feeling, and I can create a new set of beliefs. And if I do that, it doesn't matter if my amino acids are off. It doesn't matter if I have um, 
um, uh, gene sequence, blah, 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 that says that I'm always going to be addicted to something. It doesn't matter because I'm just not going to fucking drink alcohol because my belief system says alcohol is fucking poison. I don't like alcohol. I hate alcohol. Oh, exactly. Right? For me, yeah. it's just like an allergy. You know, like at the end of the day, you know, like it's, it's it, you know, like the, the, the debate doesn't solve anything. You know, like, so, so what I'm saying is that, you know, like it, it's, it, I think it's debatable, you know, like the, the addiction gene and so on, but it doesn't fix fuck all, you know, like yeah. it, it doesn't fix fuck all because, you know, like, it, you know, like if it becomes your excuse to continue to drink and not, and not make your life better, well, you fucking failed. <laughs> uh, is it, well, there's a simple answer to this as well for me. So Sunday I went to Christian church for the second week running. Yep. And, I, and I don't believe, I'm not religious, I don't believe in God, right? I, I would call myself an agnostic. <laughs> and, and I'm an agnostic that's not going to be turned, right? right? And other people might say that that's an atheist, but like I, it's going to be really difficult for somebody to provide evidence and proof that a God existed, right? But I, I, I'm there now for the second week. Oh, I've lost my train of thought. What was we talking about? We were talking about, you know, like the, the, there's no... Oh, the biology. That was yeah. it. So, <laughs> so I was talking to this really wonderful Korean guy called Joe about my lack of faith and my lack of belief in all this kind of stuff. And Joe said to me, well, there's so much you could learn about this that could change your mind, right? So I said to Joe, yeah, but see, Joe, I have a finite time on this earth. I only have so, so much time. I can only watch so many documentaries, so many movies, and so many books, which means so many good documentaries, good movies, and good books are never going to get into my brain. It's just fact, and unless we end up being in a matrix at some point, and I could just download the information super quick. So if, if, if I'm dealing with my own addiction, I could, if I want to, go down the rabbit hole of biology. I could end up on a podcast one day where I have to like vehemently defend my belief that I don't have to focus on biology in order for me to help somebody overcome addiction. Right. Exactly. Now yep. to do that and to go on that show, I would have to go down a rabbit hole that would take me God knows where I don't have the fucking time to do that. It's not like, it's not like an ego thing. Like I don't have the time. So I would only go down that rabbit hole if I didn't have the ability to help people to become people that don't drink alcohol doing yep. it my way. Does that make sense? Exactly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, 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 and I totally get that, you know, like the, the, um, it doesn't matter, you know, like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, like I think, you know, like one of the, one of the awareness is one of the key element of sobriety, you know, like be aware of what triggers you be aware that, you know, like I just spoke to a guy that, you know, I like told you that he relapsed, you know, like during the uh, holidays yeah. and he was telling me that, you know, like, um, getting like his friendship circle, women and sex were, were stuff that, you know, like triggers him. Hmm. And so, awareness is a is a key weapon of sobriety of keeping your sobriety be aware of that be careful about that are you going are going to be able to keep your friend you may be hmm. but you may need a break you know like i told you earlier that you know like i i took like a three months break from playing my 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 usual poker game yeah. at home you know like so and there was a reason for that you know i wanted i want a blank slate to identify, you know, like what, what makes it a trigger? And I, you know, like I, I, I think it took six months for me to go back in a bar 
And the, 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 the only reason why I went back was that a friend of mine was actually playing a gig there. <clears throat> he was a guitarist, a guitarist and wanted to play a gig there. And, um, the first hour I probably drank, uh, I would say four to six, uh, sparkling waters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, you know, I like sat at the bar, told the bar, Hey, my name is Alex. What's your name? My name is Bob. I Bob. Uh, I can't have a drink, an alcohol drink. I can't have a drink. Do you get it? Yeah, Bob. Okay. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> da, 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 da. And then six, about four to six sparkling water later. Well, I, well, obviously go down to take a piss and, 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 and realize while I was, you know, like taking, taking a leak that, oh shit, you know, like I'm, I'm actually trying to drink sparkling waters to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> the same equivalent heights of, you know, exactly. well, yeah, the same way, but you got different liquid. I was trying to have a drink. Oh. In, in like almost like a compulsive manner. And, you know, like, so I, I, I actually had like, like a, like a solo chat with myself, like, okay, just break it down a notch, you know, like, just like relax, buddy, you know, like you're just in a bar, you know, like that's it. Um, so as I was telling that, 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 that friend of mine, you know, like, you know, like you're gonna, you, you may keep that circle of friend, but you know, like you're going to be aware of what triggers you wanted to drink. Yeah. And, and so at the end of this, you know, like, I think it doesn't really matter where, where it originates from, you know, like it, it matters where you decide that you, you know, like it, it, it messes up your life enough that you have to stop either that, or, you know, like, I, you know, like the 12 step programs used to say, you know, like it's jail, hospital, morgue, or you fucking quit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I, it, to me, like you're going to war, right? You're going to war against this big, bad, like the biggest, baddest villain ever. Okay. Now, when I started out, I thought that villain was alcohol. Turns out that alcohol was just like a henchman. Like alcohol was like Darth Vader, right? But then I realized that this Emperor Palpatine behind him, and that's alcoholism, which is this belief system. Yep. So, you know, for me, you need to develop a lot of weapons. You need to have the right form of armor on and know when to wear it and when to take it off. You also need some weapons. Now, if, and we're all 7.5 billion people, are very, very similar with some nuanced differences. If one of those nuances, you can respond really well to accepting that alcoholism is biological and that acceptance and that belief is a powerful weapon for you and drives you to quit drinking alcohol, then use it. If you believe that believing in a higher power is a big fuck off knife that you can use to dismantle Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine, use it, right? It's just in my personal experience, I've come across too many people who, who are on such a voyage to find out why they are biologically like they are or accepting that they're like they are because their mom, their dad, et cetera, et cetera, whilst taking their eye off conveniently um, not doing the work they need to do to sort the fucking shit out, right? And you you used the word Jiminy Cricket earlier on when we were talking. Like yeah. that little voice in your head, Jiminy Cricket, in, in Strive we use the term resistance, which we pinched from Stephen Pressfield, who wrote The War of Art, right? That voice in your head that is telling you, don't fucking stop drinking alcohol. Like, don't listen to Lee. Don't listen to Al. Invisible, violent, dominant belief system. What's this prick on about, right? And 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 just go drink. You yes, you can. You can have value socially. Don't listen to me. That voice. If you 
aren't working on the societal aspects of it, you're not working on the cultural aspects, the environmental aspects, and you're not working on the psychological aspects, and you're just putting all your eggs in a biological basket, you're going to find it really, really difficult to quit drinking alcohol. Like oh, people yeah. do. Like this is called, you know, your people do, right? The cold turkey podcast. Like people do go cold turkey. I've seen it. But a lot of them can lead like kind of pretty miserable lives because like my father, my ex-father-in-law gave us smoking cold turkey, right? still wants to smoke like he still wants to smoke 20 30 years later it's like i still want to smoke i'm like fucking smoke then <laughs> like like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, i've always said this alex <clears throat> like if i start getting miserable because i don't drink i'm gonna drink i mean i've seen bitter sober right like it's 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 just tragic yeah yeah you know, like it's i, I attend i attended meeting where the elders you know like are, are the more you know like just people that had more time were look so shit faced, you know, like just just angry, <laughs> just mad that you know, like I remember as like a newcomer looking at them, it's like I'm really not inspired here, you know, like I'm, <laughs> yeah. I don't aspire, I don't aspire to be that, you know, like at all. So if 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 your life, if you're if you quit, if you have stopped using, and you're you're covered with bitterness and and ang anger and and well, you, you, there's something that you're doing wrong here because it's it, it you know like it should only get better you know and and then and I'm I'm gonna come back Lee to bring me to the f the f the last few years where you were using and having those first thought of that can't be it you know like that can't be my life that can't be you know like maybe just draw me a bit of you know like where are you at you know like what's going on you know like what 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 is your life like. I think I think um, so. I I left the I left school at sixteen without any qualifications, and I managed to get an apprenticeship with British Rail, and I worked there for nineteen years before retiring. Just before, uh, just after I quit drinking alcohol, so I was very fortunate that um, I'm a really hard worker. I got to a very senior position. I had a lot of responsibility. Um, money was decent, although I, I had a gambling addiction towards the end of it. So I had a lot of, I had about 30,000 pounds in, in gambling debt, but if I didn't have my gambling debt, I had a good life, I had a house, I had a, I had a, a beautiful wife, I had a beautiful kid and all that. Right. And I think where it started going downhill was when my son was born Jude. So he's 18 now, uh, I split up, uh, with his mom when he was 10. And I think what happens when you have a kid and you're, your whole social structure is based around alcohol is you take it from the pub to the house. And that, that's a big problem because the pub, I'm going to say this and, and, and I know, I know this is daft to say this because where I live, the pub never sh shut. So like they would kick you out at 11, but if you was a reg, like I was, you just stay behind until three or four in the morning. Yeah. But normally they shut you off in a pub. You only have X amount of money to buy stuff in a pub, a pint's a pint, you know, a shot's a shot. But yep. when you're at home, suddenly you're buying yourself three bottles of wine for a tenner. Uh, it's dead cheap. Um, you're inviting all your friends around. You know, you get a poker game going. And what I found that was happening was, here's a good example. My son, when we potty trained him, never peed the bed, ever, only, only once. And that was when me and his mum were too drunk to hear him calling out for us to help him and and even then it was normal 
I, I can't express how normal it was for me to invite all my friends and their kids, for all the kids, for us to ignore every single one of the kids, for them to just be sitting. I have this photograph of them, like seven kids on a, on a settee, uh, three, four years of age, all playing on Nintendos, right? And we would ignore them, and we'd be in the kitchen with mu deafening music, and we'd just be getting smashed playing drinking games. And then we would put those kids on our shoulders, and we would just walk them home up the street, right? Yeah. And then afterwards, what would happen is me and my wife would fight. Um, I'd never hit my wife. Uh, she hit me a few times. Um, but we got to the point where the fights were getting so verbally violent and so aggressive that things were getting smashed, um, things that we we paid for, you know. Um, and I just remember our relationship just going to ruin because of that, right? And then one night we got really drunk and she would follow when she got drunk she would follow me around now so this is when i started to play online poker and started to try to get my shit together so i'd be she'd go out to drink and i'd be like i don't want to go out i'm going to look after jude and then i put jude to bed i'd be playing poker and then she'd come home drunk and i'd be like i'm in the middle of a game you know like just leave me be and then she would be like no nah, fucking hell and i know and she'd be there and I'd say, can you just leave? And she'd just stare at me. So then I would leave and go to a different room. And then she'd fucking follow me. And she'd just sit there staring at me. And, and I'd get, get angry anyway. I had temper issues. So we start fighting. And I'm telling her to leave. I, I don't want her in the house. I can't leave because I can't leave her in charge, you know, in control of this, this toddler. Yep. So I say, you have to leave. Because if you don't leave, we're going to fight. And she's like, I'm not fucking leaving. So I end up trying to throw her out of the house. So we end up having this big fight where I'm actually dragging her out the house. And I managed to throw her out the front door, shut the front door and lock it. And I remember putting my back to the wall. I had scratches all over me. My top's ripped. I remember the coldness of, of the wall on my back with the sweat. And I just burst out crying like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this, my boy's upstairs asleep. How old were you? 33, something like that. So two years out of quitting, that happens. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, that, that happening and me quitting was very close. So maybe not, maybe 35. I'm not very good at dates. And then what, yeah, happened, no, what no. happened was, Alex, is when my boy was, when my boy, when my wife told me she was pregnant with my son, I was addicted to cigarettes and I couldn't quit. I tried everything to quit. And a friend of mine who I worked with on the railways, a manager who worked for me called Di Barrett, and he shared an office with me. He was the biggest smoker ever. And I went in one day and I said, do you want a cigarette? And he's like, I don't smoke. I'm like, what do you mean you don't smoke? Of course you smoke. He said, oh, funniest thing happened. My wife read this book called The Easy Way to Stop Smoking Permanently by Carl and Carr. She stopped smoking. So I read it, curious. How the fuck can you give up smoking reading a book? I read it, gave up smoking, and I've never created another cigarette. So I'm like, where's the book? So I read the book and I stopped reading it and I never and 18 years later I'd never created a single cigarette ever 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 right so when um after this fight I uh, decided that she's never going to stop drinking I'll have to stop and maybe she'll stop if I do so I went I went to um I went to the the library and I bought Alan Carr's easy way to stop control alcohol and um as soon as I started reading it, I knew that I'd never drink again because uh, 
I, I knew how he's how it would work. Uh, I so I I made it bigger than me, Alex. I, I was and I I'm, I'm going through this with some strivers now. A lot of people they stop drinking, and then they they'll stop drinking for three months, and then they'll drink. All right, let's take a woman on strive for example. Right, she stops drinking. She starts drinking on Saturday night after not drinking for three months. She's drinks, she gets a little bit randy. She has sex with her husband, right? Her husband, who still drinks, and, you know, he's just got his end away, right? Uh-huh. He's not left her or anything. They haven't even had a big fight. He's got his end away. The kids don't even realize what's going on. And then the next day, she posts on Strive and says, I drank yesterday. And her fellow Strivers jump on and go, Oh man, been there before. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off. Like you're great. You're such an inspiration, right? You can even say you get a little bit of an ego trip there, don't you? Because you just had yeah. a drink. Because people are telling you how wonderful you are. Yeah. So I come crashing in there, and say, "Hang on a minute. I'm actually pissed off that you've had a drink. Like you need to crank the pain. Where's the pain to drink? It's clearly more painful to not drink alcohol for you." Right, because yep. you've just had a drink, and every nobody, nothing changes. You're reward almost rewarded almost for relaxing. Rewarded for drinking, yeah. right? So, yeah. plus you get all that quietening of all the noises and the voices, etc. Right? So she's uh, this one girl in, in, in particular, you know, um, uh, Kim, who's a striver. The sex part, by the way, I made up. She didn't tell me she had sex with her husband, um, but the the argument remains the same. They they didn't divorce or anything. So I says, Kim, you've got to make it bigger than yourself. And she said, how can I crank, how can I crank up this pain? And I said, well, uh, you have people on Strife who rely on you. They look at you as an inspiration. But that is not going to continue if you, keep, if you keep blipping every three to six months because you're showing them that you can't do it. And they're looking at you as an inspiration. Plus, your children are going to look at you, you know, and they want to see they, – they might not know it, but at some time in the future, they're going to come to a point where they might not want to drink or they might not want to take drugs or they might not want to smoke. How great would it be to have a role model there that doesn't do these things so they can go, oh, wow, mom, how did you do it? Right. Like, yep. and, and and that's not even we were talking earlier on, like my son, like went through a really traumatic experience on New Year's Eve where he didn't want to drink. But he realized that if I stop drinking, I'm going to lose everybody. I'm going to lose my girlfriend. I'm going to lose my mom. I'm going to lose my best friends. They're all going to ridicule me and think I'm an idiot. How can I not drink? And he's fucking crying his eyes out at 18 years of age on the phone to me about this, right? You know, imagine if he had more people he could go to that don't drink. So I said to Kim, imagine if your kids were friends with my kid or were able to influence them or you'd be able to see, you know, that's how you crank up the pain. That's how you make it bigger than yourself. You know, like, in AA, how do you make it bigger than yourself? Like believing in a higher power could be part of that. If you're religious and you believe in God and you do it for God, now you're letting God down. You're not just letting yourself down. You're cranking up that pain, right? And you're talking about the us. You know, like yes, that, the... it's not me. It's not me, 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 right? Yep. Because, look, I have I have this belief, uh, again, obviously I can't prove it. It's only my own personal belief that we, we are going to die. And if we spend time thinking about the fact we're going to die. That's what I believe, by the way, Lee. You're yeah, going to die. Yeah, that's gonna, I'm going to die. Right? <laughs> I have a three-year-old daughter that at some point I'm going to have to tell her that I'm going to die. Yeah. Right? Now, the way we deal with that 
is not to think we're going to die all the time because it will drive us fucking nuts. We have to block it from our mind. We have to quieten the cognitive dissonance, right? And this is where religion really works because if, if, if you're religious and you believe in heaven and hell and you believe in God and you do everything all right, you're going to go to heaven, then it makes dying a little bit softer blow, right? I'm not yep. religious, so I think I'm just going to close my eyes. I don't know what's going to happen, okay? But but for me, like that, like blocking it out of your mind, like part of it is when you're younger, you think you're immortal. Like you don't think you're going to die. So if you turn around and say, well, I'll stop smoking, I'll do it tomorrow. If I stop drinking, I'll do it tomorrow because we think we're Connor McLeod from Highlander. Like we don't think we're going to die until yep. at some point you start getting a little bit older and Stanton Peel, who was like the second person I ever interviewed in my life, and we fell out because I, I wasn't AA and Stanton is, and he didn't like it that I wasn't, and all this nonsense. But one thing that Stanton said was really interesting was there's a really high statistic of the number of people who turn 60, 70, and they just don't drink anymore, right? They don't need help. They don't have therapy. They don't pay people like me or you to do it. They don't listen to our podcast. They just stop. I think the reason that they just stop is they start to realize they're going to fucking joss it soon. Like, like I, I live with two two people here who are in their 70s, my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. They tell me regularly I'm going to die. It, it's present within them, right? Yeah. You know, and, and, and I don't see this, fuck it, fuck it. I'm going to take loads of coke. I'm going to, I'm going to shag loads of prostitutes. I'm going, to, I'm going to smoke loads of cigarettes. You know, I, I don't see that happening. I see more of a fear, a fear that I'm going to die, but I can't really kind of talk to anyone about it. And I'm feeling worse and I don't, you know, like my, you know, so I think I'll smoke less. I think I'll drink less. And you know what I mean? It's like, but we, but if you're strive right now and you're in your 30s or your 40s, you know, picking yourself as a reason to stop drinking alcohol is a pretty bad idea. Like you yeah. do say, oh, you got to love yourself before you love everybody else. And I, and I do believe in that, you know, go back to, I said earlier on the primary reason and one of the, you know, that's connected to trauma. Like so many people on stride, that trauma is their low self worth, their low self esteem. So, you know, loving yourself is really important, but I think when it comes to quitting an addiction, actually making it bigger than yourself is really important. So, you know, I, I chose to quit drinking to save my marriage, but ultimately my decision to quit drinking sped up the dissolution of my marriage. Did, um, what was the process of making, you know, like we, we, we've spoken for the past 50 minutes, but you know, like the, about kind of the process of sobriety, you know, like, and, and the realization that you made about, you know, like the prioritizing and that, that three, that three goal or solution like a nutshell like, a, nut a, a nutshell. like um, you know like how you know how did you build because obviously you know, like that um what i would say one of the benefit of the 12 step program you know like is is the fact that you know like it's it's been written it's been in some ways proven and so it's it's easy to turn around and rely on this because it's it's there right you know, like the resources are there you've actually almost written bottom up your own belief system and your own foundation of your own sobriety lee so how did you come up with you know like 
kind of you know like you had to do this i'm i'm, I'm guessing here well, because you know like what, you, you, i think yeah what what you're saying actually andrew who's a, a shepherd <laughs> in australia who's who's going through my intensive at the moment he said what would really help here is an infograph of the made the major like 12 steps i guess like you know so um, what what it, what is important for me, and you don't realize this until you until you like as soon as I stop drinking, Alex, I'm like right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I have to help the whole world. So the way that I quit by realizing that it was a belief system, then to see my parents going through the suffering that they were going through for no reason, like <laughs> imagine you realize that smoking or drinking alcohol provides you no value. Like you believe it as much as my daughter believes in the existence of Santa Claus right now. There's no way you're going to shake my my mother-in-law believing in God. There's no way she's ever going to believe anything else, right? So yep. when I when I believe that alcohol provides me no value or smoking provides me no value, and I see my mom and dad dying because they're smoking and they're and they're drinking for no reason, right? That gets me really angry, right? So what am I going to do about it? Why well, I'm going to do my best to get on podcasts like this and to help people and make it my life's purpose to touch as many people as I can. Now comes the hard part. How do you do that? How do you explain to people what's inside your head, right? So the way the way that I the way that I did it, the main milestones it, it are I created first of all I started writing about it. So I started writing about it and writing blog posts. So you know we talked earlier on about the role of resistance plays. So I would write about it. And then someone would read it. But then I realized that it's not joined up enough, right? So then I created the podcast and then I would interview guests. And as I'm talking to you, like earlier on on my, on, on my show, I, I can talk about my philosophy a little bit as well. So that's another way of re reaching people. Um, then I realized that one the one thing that those two books uh, didn't have, the Alan Carr smoking book and the, and the drinking book, was once you stopped, that was it. So Alan Carr, for example, said, whatever you do, don't stop. Don't stop doing what you do when you stop drinking. So if your if your life revolved around going to the pub all the time, don't stop because you don't need to stop because you don't drink. But that's actually wrong because when you stop drinking, you you become the real you. Yeah. And when you become the real you, you realize that holy shit, like I don't love this person I sleep with. I don't love my friends. I don't get any joy being in this environment. So to actually go to those places means that you you will tell yourself that you're going to be lonely, but loneliness isn't being alone. Loneliness is a feeling, and you can get lone. You can be lonely as fuck being around people. So, like for me, the work ended with the book. So I was like, we need a support system where people are not lonely, where people feel connected. So that's when I created a forum called Strive. And then I created a program called The Intensive, which combined with the forum and all the work we do on a forum helps people to learn my philosophy. So my philosophy is, like I told you, <clears throat> that alcoholism is an invisible, violent, and dominant belief system that we're designed by our culture and our ideology to drink alcohol from a very young age and that is normal and pleasurable. And that belief system is so strong that we become addicted to it, to alcohol at a very, very young age because alcohol is one of the top five most addictive drugs in the world, right? But it's not addictive because of its biological nature. It's addictive because of the psychological 
um, um, issues you get when you try to start, right? So that is the first and foremost thing. So I do a lot of work getting people to look at their worldview, their paradigms, their beliefs, their values, um, their views on ideologies, their views on isms, racism, fascism, uh, etc. And I get them to think, probably for a lot of them for the first times in their lives, and start to think, why do you believe the things that you do? And then I get them to, to see and give them the power that they can change beliefs. Like we all did believe that Santa Claus was real, and then we believed that he wasn't real anymore, right? Yeah. I used to believe that watching Manchester United play football was like a religion. Like I, nobody could get in my way of doing that. Today, I don't even watch them, right? You, so, so you can change your belief system. So we help people to first see the truth about alcohol, that it is this invisible, violent, dominant belief system. Another key aspect is that it has no long, it has no value when you look at it through the long-term lens. Because if you can remove value, you remove desire. And that means you don't, you're not triggered to drink. And the biggest issue when people try to stop is they get keep getting triggered and they, some, they succumb to their triggers. Um, another big aspect is resistance, the role that it plays and how we coach them around that. So, you know, I once did a three-hour therapy session um, on uh, the Feeling Good podcast with David Byrne, who's a CBT expert. And it was about me losing temper and getting angry with my wife. And they got me to see that I actually get a lot of value out of shouting and screaming at my wife for a variety of different reasons. Makes me feel like I'm in control, fits into my paradigm of what a man is that I got off my dad. Um, it shuts her up so I don't feel like I have to fight with her because I'm in charge, right? And then, the, then they turned around and said to me, oh, uh, well, you get a lot of value out of that. Well, we're not here to help you get more value out of it. We've got the tools to help you stop it, but it, it, it sounds like you don't, you don't want to stop. And then I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> no, I do. And they're like, why, what's going to happen if you don't? And I'm like, I will, I'll lose my wife. And I'll have, and they said, what's the, what's the consequence of that? I'll have two kids on two different continents. And I never saw my, my, my boy. And then I'll never see my, my girl. And I'll go through all that again. And that was too painful for me. What are you willing to do then? I'm willing to drop my image of what a man is, right? So that is experts using what they call the voice of resistance. What is your resistance against quitting alcohol? Thrust that in your face. So a, a real clear example is... Um, Write the list of all the reasons you love drinking alcohol. Boom, big list. And then you turn around and say, wow, it does so much for you. How are you going to live without all that? You better leave because we're going to take all that away from you. What are you going to be without that? Like, it seems yeah. to me like you love it. And then they're like, no. And then they, they develop a way around. So that's really important. The death effect is really important. How they're going to have to fit into society after they stop drinking and that the people that they're talking to just will not understand that this belief system exists. They will fight against it. They would be judgmental against it, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's a real core part. Triggers is crucial. Um, every time you feel that you want to drink or you do drink um, is posting in our trigger section in the forum, answering 13 questions that we put up there and then accepting that your peers are going to, pick out your blind spots and challenge you 
and accepting that it comes from loving kindness. So we can get pretty brutal with each other sometimes, but we've signed up that, that that brutality comes from a place of loving kindness. So we call each other out on our bullshit a lot. I think that is really important. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Some people need, some people need a, a hug. But the problem is, if you've got somebody who's really suffering, and all you're doing is providing them with empathy, and this has been going on for month after month, or year after year, you really have to do something else. And and a lot of times we just have to let them go, and we have to say this isn't working for you. You need to go somewhere else because you know it isn't helping you. You know, so we have strive coaches. Some I said earlier on. The fundamental reason we drink is because of this belief system where we help you look at your belief system from a different perspective, create a new one, you know? So, so that's how we deal with that. Um, the trauma aspect of it, we have trauma coaches. So if you're a member of strive right now, Alex, and, um, let's say you had a, a particular issue with, uh, Christmas or something like, um, uh, you feel like you just can't connect with people or whatever, then, you know, a trauma coach might do some one-on-one work with you and then we'll figure out where that comes from. And then that may or may not help you kind of deal with your alcohol situation today. And we also have ambassadors. So if you join today, we currently don't have any Canadian members or we have in the past, but if, you know, we would put you in a group, no more than 10 people, like a mini group. And they have like WhatsApp breakout groups. Like you said earlier on to me, that one of the good powerful things for you is when you were struggling um, and you felt triggered to drink or you just wanted to outpour of emotion rather than blunt it with a drink, that you had like at least five really solid people that you could go yeah. to. So <laughs> we, we want to build that up because very often these communities, they can get too big and they can lose the intimacy that drew, drew people in in the first place. So we're really small at the moment, but we've already organized. So Alex, you come to me, you join Strive, usually through the podcast. We then take you through the intensive with, well, sorry, we put you in an ambassadorial team of like 10 people. You then go through the intensive with a peer group of 10 people. Your ambassador will be there every step of the way, lasts for two months. And then you discover the truth about alcohol and we raise awareness of that truth to change your belief system. And then you work on the forum. You have a little WhatsApp group that you can use if you need to. And it's a meritocracy as well. So, you know, I'll, I'll say, does anyone want to help me write guidelines for Strive? Does, you know, and then if you're with us for a year and you haven't had a drink for a year, then, um, and I think you've got what it takes, I'll say, do you want to be an ambassador? And then you'll say, yeah. And then we'll get you on board and then you'll start leading your own team. And for me, <clears throat> that was the like really important part because creating the alcohol condition podcast and creating strive and the same with you with your podcast, it helps you stay sober. Like think, of, think about how much yeah. more difficult it would be for you to drink now and then come on your podcast and go, Hey listeners, I got something I need to tell you. I fucked up <laughs> yesterday. Now that's okay. <laughs> Like I, I, oh, for I, sure. I, yeah, yeah. I relapsed three years after three years after not drinking. I, I drank for a month. Right. That's okay. It's fine. But you'd be kidding if you didn't feel shame, guilt and embarrassment and humiliation. If you, if you, if you was at this level. So, but, but 15 years later, Lee, I still fear the relapse. Right. You know, like, and, and, and I think, I think it's something that is almost vital to my sobriety is to actually fear the consequences of me relapsing. Right. 
so I can I can dress up a list of of elements of pressure for me not to relapse. But one of them is that I don't even know. You know, like that uh, ego is a strong weapon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, you know, like, and um, I can, I, I can, I think it can be destructive. But the the positive aspect of it is that, for sure, you know, like I, I need to keep the the, you know, like there there's something of the effect of I don't know if I can come back from it. I don't know in what state I'm gonna be coming back from it. Uh, you know, like there's something about the reconstruction or rebuilding something that i don't i don't see um yeah anyway so for me the you know like i think the important thing is that 15 years later it's still something that i that i'm afraid or that i that i'm um that i see as a threat relapse can be knocking at my door anytime and you know it's you you remind me of um a little bit of uh we had a we had a guy on strive called doug he's just recently left actually and doug doug came to us six years without having a drink and he said the reason i'm coming here is because i'm worried i keep worrying that i'm gonna have a drink and i, and I want to know why that is so he he spent a year with us and he said that the benefit that he got out of being with us was that he no longer was afraid of drinking because he he knew he knew um he knew what it was that he was afraid of he he understood it a little he understood it a little better and he he had a framework for himself that that he never had before so um i think i can see i can see how worrying about it would be a really good tool my it depends for me my question to you would be uh, to what degree does that worry impinge upon your life so if it if it rarely if it oh. rarely impinges it's a good tool if you're if you're worrying all the time if you go into a pub and like if your wife says to you do you want to go to a pub and you're like oh no because i'm really worried i'm gonna drink oh no like, no no oh no exactly right. and that would be that would be just an handicap right yeah, you know, like yeah. I, I think you know like that where it becomes an asset is that you know because i've seen serial relapser quote unquote you know like not being worried about the uh consequences of relapsing yeah yeah and I've always been like, shit, that must be the worst cycle. The deadliest cycle is not worrying that one time too many can fuck you up for life. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so, so when I say I'm afraid, it's not that it's not a daily worry about, you know, like relapsing. It's just that it is still something that is, uh, um, you know, like you, you talked about the rewarding thing, you know, like, you know, like when you come back and, oh, you know, like, yeah, I'm so sorry for you. You know, like, I hope this one's the good one. And, you know, like, and for me, it's just like a, a fucking disaster. You know, like I see that, like, what? You know, like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm Kick me up the so ass, glad you're, so glad you're back, you know, like, so glad you're back alive and you don't seem too hurt by it. And, you know, like, and, and it, it's kind, kind of the opposite where, you know, like, I'm just like worried about, you know, like you could, you could burn too many cells mm -hmm. and come back and be fucked up you know like forever and, and anyways um and so um i still see relapse as something that's not um don't minimize the the you know like how 
you know, like damaging a relapse can be for someone. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, like it's, it's the fear is not, is not like a, a daily thing sitting on my shoulder. It's just, you know, like I see this as something that could be catastrophic for someone. Mm. And um, I mean, for, for, li and for listeners, like at the moment we've been, we've been doing the intensive, I would say in different forms and it's getting better and better as a supplement to the support system for about three years, I would say. What we're seeing is you get serial relapses who will stop drinking for a month or so and then drink or a week and drink or a couple of days and drink. So they're in one group. And they're, they're the people who are not prepared yet to take the vow. There's far too much pleasure in them drinking. And they're just, yep. they're just not willing to do the work. They're, they suffer from uh, process resistance. Uh, then there's the group of people who go a long time and then they drink. And then they just decide, oh, fuck it, I'm just, I'm just going to drink. But their drinking changes a little bit, uh, but they decide that they're going to go off and moderate or whatever. It's, it's not for them. They've tried it. It's not for them. Then actually it's four. Then it's the ones who go a long time, maybe a year, and then they drink because something's happened, like a divorce or, or a child's died or something that they just weren't ready for. Um, and then they come back to strive and they're like, I had a drink. And then we support them and then they don't drink again. And then you get the ones who are just done. They just don't. They just don't drink, right? Like, yep. you know. So it's. Um, but but we've we've only been doing the intensive enough for like three years. It'd be really interesting to see where we are in twenty, thirty years. You know, mapping it out. Really interesting. Yeah. Lee, I have to thank you. Uh, it was a uh, it was a great conversation. Um, I love seeing all kinds of angles of how people people can get sober. Mm. I love, you know, like the the initial thinking of that 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 like there was something about the I don't know, you know, like the the the, the, the title of the podcast was like cold turkey because I knew that there was something about like the bottom of the barrel of people. You know, I knew that it was something that people could identify themselves. And I realized while recording and while meeting so many guests that you know, like one of the great thing about you know, like the the podcast is the fact that I see all kind all kinds of um, ammunition. Uh, to get sober, oh, all funny. kinds of angles on which you can you can get yourself sober, and so it, it you know like um, if I wasn't almost sixty episodes in, I may change the title of the podcast. No, I, <laughs> only I like because it. you know like yeah. uh, you know like only because it's not just the the. It's not just that moment, you know, like the, you know, like the, there's there, there for some people there's many moments, but 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 not only that, but it's the. The approach. I love the discussion about the approach, and I love the fact that um, I love yours. I love the strive way. I love the the way that you approach it. I think it's you know like it's um it's a never ending conversation I can have about you know like you know like what causes it and what you know like makes you quit and and keep quitting. Uh, but it's for me, it's so interesting. So um, I love you passionately. I love, you. you know, like, I, I think we have this in common. And, you know, um, thanks again for being part of that. No worries. Keep up the good work. And uh, if people want to check out the work, it's uh, www.thetruthaboutalcohol.co.uk. Awesome. Yeah. Thank All you. Right. Cheers. Uh, bye. Take care. Bye.